0: Good morning, everyone. We have yearned, and now we're turning to learning. A little Torah this morning. Torah is a git Torah is a good thing. Torah, from the word light, or from teacher, or from parent, all those words, Torah is, as it were, the place where we go to, our go-to place for wisdom, weekly wisdom. The Parsha is a weekly exploration of the narratives and the laws of the Torah as a way Not only of preserving them, because preservation is its own value, but not enough. It's to apply them. We want to apply what has been preserved, so that it stays fresh and verdant and also alive in us, because it's a tree of life. We are holding on to Torah steadfastly always, as a way of applying and learning to see ourselves in the Torah and through the Torah. So this morning's learning together, which is one of the three calling-ups. There are three groups that come up for aliyot, or called aliyot means to arrive up at the Torah. The first one is an open-up. Anyone can come up if you feel called on the learning that we're going to learn this morning for the reading this morning. And if you'd like to follow along in your red chumash, in your red Bible, it can be found on page 283, top of the page, 283, 283 two eighty three. Chapter forty six, verse twenty-eight. In so many ways, <clears throat> as a rabbi now for almost almost a decade and a half, decade and a half, I think that if we as a you know, if I had been involved in the in the conversations that the rabbis had about when they would give which portion of the Bible, the Torah, to be read in a public, right, in the most public way. Had they known that most American Jews show up for synagogue on the high holidays, we probably would have these portions during those days, as opposed to the ones that we read now, not saying anything bad. But these portions, the part of the Bible that we are reading this morning and that is read traditionally during this time of the year, the latter portion of the book of Genesis, Chapter 37 to the end, to chapter 50, the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis, are so beautiful. They're so beautiful, they don't grab us theologically and demand of us to believe things we don't believe. They don't tell us about laws that are arcane or ancient, that we might wonder how they are applicable. They tell us a real life story about me and you, and family dynamics that are so Reminiscent, not that anyone one of us has been thrown into a pit and you know, sell, sold down into Egypt like Joseph, but families are powerful. Families are nuclear. Families are the beginnings and sometimes the end of our learning. Families, the Torah focuses on families because they are so human, it is so personal, and it is so relevant. For those of you who might need a refresher on the Joseph story, having maybe seen the show at one point, or read it in the Bible, or watched it somewhere, the story of Joseph is just unbelievable. The story of Joseph is the story, of course, of the beloved, preferred son of Jacob, who is, of course, a dreamer, and who gets in trouble because he lords it over, he lords over his brothers, the ten other brothers. Those ten other brothers are not lucky enough to have been born to their father's beloved soulmate Rachel. Only Joseph has that distinct honor and he, he kind of peacocks it. He walks around. The brothers of course hate him for it. The Torah tells us they hate him they hate him, hate him. and then they conspire they throw him into a pit. They want to kill him but then Judah says don't kill him let's sell him. They sell him into the pit. He rises from rags to riches. He's not only a dreamer but he can interpret dreams. He interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh. We know the story I think. And Based upon that alone, he becomes very powerful. He becomes second, of course, to only Pharaoh in all the land. His own vision of how to save the Egyptians from a famine becomes administered, and he indeed saves the people from the famine. The brothers come down to the land of Egypt, not knowing they are standing before their brother. They come vulnerably and powerlessly to seek food because there is no food in the famine that their own brother had envisioned. And there they stand powerlessly before him, asking for their lives pleading. Joseph of course works with them in a very amazing way. Doesn't tell them who he is. They don't know. He knows who they are. They don't know. He maneuvers everything so that he can cre- create the scene of the crime instead of him now his younger brother Benjamin also of Rachel, right? Also born to the beloved wife of Jacob. And now Benjamin is in exactly the same scenario last week as Joseph was the brothers, right? Are in the moment where Benjamin might be taken as a slave and judah in the beginning of this week's partnership will step forward judah the hero and say i would rather be in place of benjamin and joseph is blown away right it rips his heart wide open he starts crying he says get everybody out he starts to cry he tells his brothers it's been 22 years i'm your brother and they look at him and no way we thought you were dead not only did we think you were dead, but we're terrified now, because if it really is you, and you are indeed the most powerful man in the world, Oegevalt, <laughs> or the Egyptian equivalent of that, like, oh my, you know, Ramses, oh my gosh. <laughs> and he, he forgives them, right? This is a story of forgiveness. And so he hurry, they forgive him, they cry, he takes his brother Benjamin, whom he hasn't seen for 22 years, he hugs him, they cry, it's so emotional. And then he sends the brothers back. He says, hurry back to my father. Hurry back and tell him, enough. Come down and meet me. I have everything you can need. You'll live here. It'll be, I'll set you up. It'll be Park Avenue with the Ritz. It's great. Don't hurry. Don't tarry, rather. Don't be slow. Hurry up. He comes down. And on the way down, Jacob, right, is terrified of leaving, but he can't wait to see his son. And in verse 28, on the top of page 283, Jacob does something interesting. He sends Judah, the hero of the story, ahead to a place called Goshen. el Now Jacob, of course, has been convinced that his son Joseph is alive and now he's on the way down. I've got to see him before I die. That's what he says, to go see him before I die. I'm not, you know, I don't get another chance. And he sends Judah ahead of him to Joseph, lefanav to show him the way Goshen, to the land of Goshen, vayavo Goshen, and they come to the land of Goshen. And we're going to come back to this. Yosef and Joseph, right? He gets his chariot ready. Probably not Joseph. He's very powerful. He probably had somebody else do it. But the Torah wants us to know how important it was that even Joseph right, he got, he went down and he got the car ready. Like it's important. Vayal. He goes up, Likrat Yisrael aviv. He goes up to Israel, his father, Goshna, in the land of Goshen. Vayirai lav, and he appears to him. This phrase, vayirai lav, in biblical terminology, this amazing phrase, vayirai lav, he appeared to him. Usually, is reserved for deities that appear. Kind of, he had a vision, right? This is a momentous occasion, vayirai lav. It's almost like he had a vision. He saw him. Vaipol Al and he falls on his neck his necks. Vayev Al Od, and he cries on his father's neck. And Joseph says to his son Joseph, I can die now. After seeing your face. Right? You could see the scene, right? He's holding his face, and the tears are streaming down, and he's drawing away the tears of his son, and he says, I'm good. I can go now. I see your face again. You can only imagine how many times Jacob imagined his face, longing to see him. I've seen your face, and now I can go. And if we can dry our own tears for a moment, we can go back to this mysterious verse that begins this whole piece. And Judah was sent ahead. What significance in this narrative is Joseph, right, that Jacob sends Judah ahead to meet Joseph, to prepare the way for the father coming, for the rendezvous, for the rapprochement, for this? Why is that significant? I want to stop here and go deep and then open it up. Like, what? So we would explored this in the open book, right, what this might mean. Said things like, maybe this is a way of doing a fixing, right? The same way Joseph was sent by himself down to Egypt, now Judah gets to know what that's like to go ahead, right? It's a fixing, right? Jacob is fixing something, but what's what's this preparation business that he needed to go ahead? Anybody want to... I have my own thing that I'm going to teach you in about three minutes, but three or four minutes of opening it up to all of you. What might be the significance of this little piece of the narrative the Torah wants us to know? Before we get to the crying, before we get to the reproachment, there is this interest, this middle space where Jacob is on the way down to meet his son. He knows he's alive. By the way, it's interesting to note, Joseph doesn't know Jacob's alive either, by the way never thought about this quite i mean the text is so obviously screaming that not only did jacob have to live with thinking that his son was dead but joseph probably was thinking the whole time i wonder if my dad died while i was down here in egypt that's from the text it's very clear that's the first thing he wants to know is my father alive back to the question what's the purpose of this what's the bridge why does judah have to go to prepare why do they need to prepare away what is this goshen business everybody got that question because I'm coming to each one of you to ask each of you to speak publicly. No one gets out without speaking. Yes. Sorry, so this is an establishment of Judah as a leader. Only a leader like Judah could go ahead and prepare the way. Why do they have to prepare the way? What's so dangerous about Egypt that they have to have some, somebody go ahead, like a scout? Why do they have to, you know, send somebody at all? But yes, maybe it's because of Judah. It's to point out Judah's leadership. Judah now can be trusted to go ahead. He can take his proper place. Judah's the king. Judah the king. Good to be the king. Anybody else? Yes, Rabbi. It, could it be that Joseph knew? Could it be that Jacob knew? Jacob or Joseph? Jacob. Could it be that Jacob, in sending Judah, was saying, you know what, I always knew that you weren't really as guilty as all the other brothers. So I'm going to, you know, it's kind of signaling Judah's... Okay. 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 Anybody else? Yeah. So, protection, safety. Maybe Judah is sent ahead because he knows what it is to protect. He protected Benjamin. He's a protector. He knows that it might not be so safe in the land of Egypt. Why wouldn't it be safe in the land of Egypt? I mean, Joseph is the viceroy. Presumably, it's safe. But here's where the Goshen piece comes in. Goshen is a land where, right, the Egyptians were not fans, according to the Bible, of grazing animals. They weren't fans of... Uh, of shepherds and the whole family of jacob are shepherds and so goshen becomes a signal of a place where their lifestyle their culture the thing that has kept them going for so many thousand years that's the place where they can be insulated from the, inevitabil- the inevitable erosion and assimilation that happens when you are not a part of the dominant culture and so in some sense jacob says listen even though joseph is the head of egypt we have our own lifestyle. We have to make sure that our lifestyle is preserved, right, in this Goshen place. So I want to go with that for a moment. Because for the rabbis, this word, to show the way, lehorot, to show the way, becomes and sounds like Torah, right? Lehorot, Torah. The rabbis who read this text a couple thousand years after it's written say, and... You know, please forgive the anachronism here. They're going to read things that happen later on into things that are, you know, earlier. They say that when Judah was sent ahead, he went ahead to establish centers for Torah and for synagogues and for Jewish life. Okay. Of course. wrote Torah. And in that, by the way, in that, and we studied this in the open book this morning. In that reading of the rabbis, they are saying something profound about where we prepare and how we prepare for difficulties ahead or challenges ahead or exigencies, things that are going to squeeze us. You can read it narrowly as whenever the Jewish people, whenever they came to the Ukraine, whenever they came to America, whenever they came to a foreign land, they sent ahead Judas to establish centers of Jewish learning. Which is true. Go to the where we're going to make sure that it's going to be kosher for us. That our way of living, our lifestyle will be preserved. That's a narrow but beautiful reading. But the Shlach Kadosh, the Holy Shlach, and now the Meishilach, two two thinkers, one in the 16th century and one in the 18th century, they both say something very profound spiritually. You don't have to be Jewish, you can be an atheist, agnostic, you can just be a yoga person, you can be whatever you want, and it's so relevant either way said like this. When you buy a house, the shla says, make sure that you have a house that has a little space in it for you to go and meditate and learn Torah. Send Judah ahead to make sure that in the narrow place you have lehorot, a wayfinding, a place that grounds you and reminds you of what's most important, a way of insulating and protecting yourself, not from the ones who are outside, but protecting yourself from your own inevitable erosion of what it is that's most important to you. Set aside time when you're a rabbi, say to your couples who come to you for counseling, put your marriage first. Says the shla, that's the way of saying, Judah went ahead to Mitzrayim, to the narrow place, to make sure that they, he could preserve and protect what was most important to Jacob, his dad. And says more deeply, the Me'ashiloch, the Ishbitz of the Hasidic Rabbi from the 18th century, says like this, We know that whenever we are about to do a spiritual act, we make a blessing beforehand. That's Judah. And whenever we do the spiritual act, that's Joseph. All things that are in the world of holiness require preparation. It doesn't happen by itself. If you want to be good at something, you better practice. You better put aside time. And where you put your time and where you put your energies, the Judas that we send out into the world to make sure... That when we arrive, it's ready. It doesn't happen without somebody who's making it ready. Who blesses the means and the path towards, not just the event. So if you fell asleep, which is good, I always like that if I speak, somebody falls asleep, I think, wow, thank you, God, what a mitzvah. You're probably tired, and I'm happy. So now wake up, though, okay? (laughs) Because we're coming in for the open-up intention. The open-up intention is... The Torah is saying this morning through the lens of this seemingly insignificant moment in the narrative where Judah is sent ahead to repair the way for the family to come to a place which they will not leave for 400 years. Slavery will engulf them. All of the things that that Jacob was afraid of come to pass. But Judah has set up a plan. He has made spirit meaning purpose primary. He wakes up in the morning and says, I have a day ahead and I got to make sure that my Goshen, my go-to place, my Goshen where I ground myself, where I remember what's most important, that that is first and foremost in my day. Because without it, I can't even arrive at the mitzvah, to do the mitzvah, to do the sacred act. The way towards the thing is also vital. And if we don't practice it, it won't happen on its own. And Judah was sent ahead to meet Joseph to set up containers, ways, that would safeguard the treasures of the Jewish people, the treasures of spiritual life, the treasures of our own highest values, the treasures, if we don't make that primary, we will live a crazy life. It's not insignificant, as I told the students this morning, that the rabbis of our tradition find the letters to Goshen, Goshna, to the land of Goshen, Goshna, as the same letters that are on the dreidel that is spun during Hanukkah, that little top. Nesgadola As if to say that in a topsy turvy world, if you don't prepare, establish what is most important, most valuable it will be hard in the midst of it to remember. It'll be crazy. It'll get dizzy. But Yehuda, me, you, our highest self, our deep knowing says, oh, it's okay. We've been practicing. We can withstand the storm that's coming because we have set up what our priorities are. It is, um, I heard this from a Christian preacher. Remember it. he said, it is direction, not intention, that determines destiny. Love that. Direction, not intention, determines destiny. Direction, not intention, determines destiny. The direction that Judah was sent would determine the destiny of his family in this story. And allegorically, our direction, the directions that we set, will determine our destiny. We can have the best intention in the world. My intention is that when things hit the fan, I will be very calm, equanimous. It doesn't matter. I can lose my job. I will stay centered. And you ask yourself, have you practiced that? Well, then good luck. Because it's going to come hard. It's going to be fast. It's going to come at you. Judah was sent ahead to establish what was most important. So I want to call forward for the first aliyah, the open up this morning. The blessing to establish your priorities, your spiritual practices, the places where you go for refuge so that you have them as your access points. If that is a blessing you need this morning, please rise up and come for a blessing.